Hello, hello, film fans. What's up? Welcome into another episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It is the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by the philosophizer of film slash world traveler, Mike Nichols, on Monday, October 9th, 2023. And Mike, sadly, last month, we weren't able to get a podcast in. We we snapped our, what, 15, 16-month-long streak of at least doing one show a month, but I suppose... My birthday month, the month that football gets kicked off. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's a worthy excuse. How you doing, my man? Uh, yeah, I was obviously heartbroken as well, as were the millions of listeners who tune in every month to hear us. Yes. Um, the amount yeah. of DMs I got was just, was just it was sad to see, Mike. You know, all the people asking, where's the show? Where's yeah. the show? Tom Hanks called me personally and was like, where, where, where's the show at? Uh, where, where, where's it going to get? Um, we should have just put something out yeah. there, like just some bull crap. Like we are united with the writers and the actors, and therefore we are not doing a podcast. This writing a podcast. Yeah, I mean uh, that was good news though to hear that they, uh, you know, it sounds like the writers, uh, as of today, it was ratified, and it sounds like the writers won the writer strike, which is good news. That is the idea of a strike, I guess, to uh, make action happen. And yeah, it's good yeah. news because. Obviously, we don't really have content to cover if there's not writers uh, producing no. the content. Hopefully, the actors get it figured out, too. Um, but yeah, that was good news, Mike. That was good news. And it's also good news to be back here. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, it is October now. And honestly, Mike, September, probably one of the more dead months when it comes to new releases anyways. The fall is yeah. exactly uh you know high time for movies come out because you're kind of in between the, the summer blockbuster season and the sort of holiday film season and the Oscar bait that comes out um, coming up. So uh, I think it was a decent time for a break, but we are back here today. And for that reason, today's show is going to be a little different. Uh, Mike and I are going to go like sort of rapid style ping pong action here. We've both been watching a lot of stuff. Obviously we never stop watching stuff, even if we aren't recording. Uh, so we've both been watching movies, uh, TV series, keeping up on some of the new stuff, going back and filling uh, backlogs for older stuff. So uh, how we're going to do the show today is one of us will just bring up something we've been watching and then toss it to the other and they'll bring up something they've been watching and we'll just kind of go back and forth for 45 minutes or an hour or so. Uh, if you've been listening to us for, you know, back in 2018 when we started this, what we've been watching is a segment that we uh, used to do all the time. So, uh, Mike, that was a little bit before your days, but I think you kind of get the gist of this, right? Yeah, I understand how talking works. Nice work. Yes, you do. You do, you definitely know how talking works. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely true. Why'd you roll um, your eyes really hard when you said that? <laughs> I think you know why. Uh, we're, hey, like that, if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black, I don't know what it is, Mike. Yeah, true, true. You're looking at one of the biggest loud mouths I know right mm. here. Two thumbs pointing right back at this guy. But uh, yeah. hey, I'll give you the honors. What have you been watching lately? Well, um, I'll start off with one I think we've both seen. I recently finished the Star Wars uh, series Ahsoka, um, which follows the adventures of Ahsoka and pretty much everyone who was in Star Wars Rebels. Now, here's the thing. I have not seen Star Wars Rebels, so I was pretty new to all these characters. Um, I, I was kind of familiar with who Ahsoka was, but I hadn't really watched any of her shows like clone wars or you know anything um but uh yeah this one i think if i had known who all these characters were i would have cared more about this show but going into it just fresh i didn't really by the end care about this very much um i thought uh rosario Dar uh, rosario dawson did fine as ahsoka uh the jedi master um the other characters just felt a little wooden and like one dimensional to me. Um, even the plot, it just it felt like it took a while to really go anywhere. Um, the lightsaber duels were just a little, they felt a little chore like choreographed. Even some of the fights, like there's just, you see just hundreds of stormtroopers just standing around, just like not shooting them um, or just running away. Like, it, I don't know, like I, the choreography just felt a little off to me um there were some nice moments uh but overall i thought this one was just a little slow um and i just really wasn't that invested in it at all so i would give this one a uh a, a, a c plus i guess 
Yeah, this is the only one I think that we're talking about today that we've both seen. I also just finished the Ahsoka finale. I, I'm a little more uh, seasoned in the Ahsoka Tano tale. I've seen uh, all of Clone Wars, and I'm making my way through Rebels now. So I have like a brief uh, sort of introduction to some of the characters, but I'm very early on in Rebels. So I have not seen uh, complete arcs for, you know, Sabine Ram and Ezra Bridger and Hera Syndulla and uh, a lot of these play uh, characters from Rebels. So I'm a little bit like you where I'm coming into this and I'm a little bit in the dark, but I also think I'm a little bit more advanced in my knowledge of the characters. And I think that probably is the reason that I enjoyed the, the show a little bit more than you. I mean, you texted me, what, three episodes in and you're like, I'm so bored. This is so boring to me. And I texted <laughs> yeah. you back. I'm like, I, you know, I don't find it boring, but I think it's because I I'm just like kind of having this initial thrill of seeing characters that only existed in animation being portrayed in live action now and just kind of seeing the mixture of it. Uh, Ahsoka shows up in a couple seasons in a couple episodes of the Mandalorian as some of the bad guys in this show. So if you, Mike, I don't think you've seen that either. So that's even more backstory that you're missing. So I, mm. I can understand why you would be a little bit lost at what's going on here. Um, I, I guess I kind of appreciated this show for sort of pushing the story of Star Wars forward. I mean, this is kind of a, it's a very delicate balance, right? With all these new Star Wars show, like how much do you want to go back and fill in the gaps, you know, with Kenobi and Andor and some of these other shows that have kind of gone and filled in gaps in periods when we didn't really know what was going on. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? It's like, yeah, you get more story. We're filling in gaps. We're seeing why this happened or what this happened. But at the same time, there's a very real danger of retconning and just, putting mm -hmm. too much stuff in too quickly where it kind of uh, either throws what, ha what what happens in the original canon off a little bit, or it doesn't really track in consistency with characters and story. And I think some of that is going on here with Ahsoka. Like decisions are kind of being made uh, in a sphere where it's like, uh, I don't know why that character is really doing that. Or I, if that character did that, then how did this happen later? Um, you know, the bad guy here, you know, the plot on, on IMDb says that after the fall of the Galactic Empire, former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano investigates an emerging threat to a vulnerable galaxy. So, yeah, this this takes in between in between after the Clone Wars taking place after the fall of the original series. So it's this threat that Thrawn, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn was around and there were some novels about him. But it's like he has this whole other huge threat in another galaxy. And this is supposedly taking place after the fall and in between the stuff we've seen in the, the sequel trilogy, you're just kind of filling in a lot of gaps there. And yeah, you're pushing the limits with story and canon, but you get into some risky territory when you start doing that. And I agree, Mike, not all this landed. Like some of the lightsaber battles I thought were really cool. Like uh, the one with Ahsoka and Morgan Elsbeth, the main bad lady who turned into a, a witch. And that's more Clone Wars stuff that you were probably confused about, Mike. But hmm. uh, I thought that one was pretty good. Uh, the, the character of Balin, who is unfortunately played by Ray Stevenson, who ended up passing away. So I don't know uh, how yeah. much more we're going to see of him. But I found him to be like one of the most character or interesting characters in the show because his motivations were very sort of in between. And we weren't really sure what he was going for. Yeah. I thought the fight with him and Ahsoka in the sort of star map planet there was pretty cool because... You could see the very distinguished fighting styles, you know, Ahsoka with her two blades and Balin almost felt like he was like wielding Excalibur or something like it was like a big, heavy mm -hmm. broadsword. So I appreciated the different fighting styles. Uh, it was a thrill to see the characters on screen. But yes, I agree. Some of it felt a little hollow. Some of it felt a little rushed uh, and it felt I just kind of always had this constant feeling like are you sure you want to do that? You know, when it comes to the grand scheme of the entire galaxy and the star Wars canon. So that was kind of my mixed feelings on it. I uh, ended up giving it a six out of 10. It's not my favorite of these live action shows. Like it's not going to touch Andor. Uh, it's not ahead of the Mandalorian. No, yeah. I think <laughs> I put Obi-Wan Kenobi slightly ahead of this, but I do like this more than the book of Boba Fett. So it's not last for me. Um, okay. So, you know, it was fun to see. And I, I think we're clearly set up for a season two here. Um, so, but I think, it, I think both of us would have got more of a kick out of this if we were, you know, huge star Wars rebels fans. And then you're seeing these characters come to live action. So, yeah. Um, so that's Ahsoka. I mean, it's, it's worth watching. I think if you are like a, a star Wars fan, because it is like huge canon events happening, you know, there's like characters coming into screen and, and influencing things that are going to be in canon now so i mean if you're into the whole star wars narrative the whole saga i think it's worth watching because there are some fun moments um but overall i think it probably could have been a little better so um so my first thing that i'm going to bring up here mike i was going to bring up ahsoka as well i think that's the only thing that we've both seen here but 
Mm-hmm. I'll talk about something that I watched last night. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. It's called Haunted Mansion. Uh, oh. the, new, the new Haunted Mansion. Uh, this mm-hmm. came out not too long ago. Uh, it's directed by Justin Simeon, and it stars the Keith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson. Oh, hey. She's in this one, too. I didn't even really think about that. Uh, Owen Wilson, Tiffany Haddish, Danny DeVito, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chase Dillon, and Jared Leto. Um, A single mom named Gabby hires a tour guide, a psychic, a priest, and a historian to help exercise her newly bought mansion after discovering it is inhabited by ghosts. So, Mike, I don't know if you remember that haunted mansion that came out with Eddie Murphy way back in, like, what was it, like 2003 or something like that? Did you see that movie? Uh, I did not. I have, however, been on the Haunted Mansion uh, Disney uh, ride in Disneyland. Right. Uh, right. It was cool. I liked it. Right. Oh, it's, the ride is great. It's one of the best best rides at Disney World, if you ask me. But so this film kind of uh, it's this it's the second Disney like live action film with that one. They, they very much sort of like leaned into the children's family film uh, sort of idea with Eddie Murphy kind of cracking jokes and screaming at ghosts and you know it's all very lighthearted and this one's lighthearted as well but it it doesn't seem as sure of itself and what it's actually trying to be like it actually has a pg-13 rating and at times it seems to earn that because there is like actually legitimate like scary moments that would probably be too scary for younger or middle-aged children uh the, the main bad guy played by jared leto is legitimately creepy looking and there's certain scenes that are kind of creepy but then other times they're just doing like the lighthearted, family friendly you know cracking jokes and the the you know the the ghosts are kind of like benevolent in certain ways except for one or two so it's they kind of seem to be leaning into that family zone but then why is the movie a pg-13 movie um so it kind of i kept asking myself like who are they making this movie for because it's not scary enough to be Mm -hmm. a true horror movie but it's also not family friendly enough to be like a true like halloween classic like hocus pocus or something like that you know so it's like you know the characters are fun um you know, Tiffany Haddish, I think in particular, has a good time. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is is a capable lead, as we've seen in, in a lot of films lately. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're well written to a certain extent. But at the same time, there's plenty of moments where they like will do like a wise crack or an Owen Wilson quip or Lakeith Stanfield will try and make a joke. And I just kind of like roll my eyes like, man, that just it just felt so rigid. And I didn't find myself laughing too much. So it's just like. I felt like the movie could have been better than it is. You know, it looks great. Uh, the, 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 you know, the haunted mansion itself is a cool setting. It's in like old school, uh, spooky new Orleans, um, kind of in the French quarter is a cool setting for it. Um, and there's, there's some stuff here they try and get into with, you know, life and death and dealing with grief, both through Lakeith Stanfield's character and the little kid, uh, who's Rosario Dawson's son, who's also dealing with stuff. And they kind of represent that through the trauma of dealing with ghosts and, the afterlife and moving on and accepting grief. So there is some good stuff going on with that, but it's only sort of on the fringes of the background of this sort of mixed comedy horror thing that's going mm-hmm. on. So uh, I couldn't get it higher than a six. I guess it's fine if you want to watch it with your family, but it's a good cast. And so I guess I was hoping for a little bit more. And I, I guess if I had to choose, I would have rather they just leaned into a more like serious horror film than kind mm-hmm. of like this campy, family romp but then again it's disney so i guess i should have expected that yeah but i mean they have another very famous film franchise based on one of their rides that is that has spooky like and it's pirates of the caribbean and with that they do lean into like the creepy like ghosts and skeletons and like they you know even like the davy jones crew where they're all like these like you know squid face guys that are creepy and stuff they lean into it with that one but they make it more swashbuckly which almost fits the adventurous tone of, of creepiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's harder to do like, hey, let's do a family, like, go- spooky one that's not like, you know, uh, Hocus Pocus or something. Um, right. So. And and uh, so Guillermo del Toro, like, way back when this movie was greenlit in 2010, was originally attached oh. to direct. Oh, he would have he had something really fun to do with it, I bet. Right. And apparently he got booted off the project because he was trying to take it in that direction. way more creepy than you know because like they already made the fun family romp haunted mansion with eddie murphy in 2003 like what why did you have to make what is essentially the same exact movie over again with just some similar yet different elements you know and neither movie did good like neither movie was really well received or didn't make a lot of money so i don't know yeah and and honestly the effects could have been better in this too like it almost looked like you were riding 
I think this was on purpose. They were trying to obviously channel like Easter eggs from the Haunted Mansion ride. But if you ride that Haunted Mansion ride at times, it seems very dated because it is, you know, and so it's almost like they were like trying to channel how exactly the Haunted Mansion ride looks, but it just didn't translate as well to the movie. And for a big budget Disney film, uh, you know, you feel like that you should probably have some better CGI and better stuff going on, you know? So I don't know. I guess I give it credit for having this sort of emotional foundation that I mentioned, but it, it basically just come in, comes down to being another gimmicky haunted house film that, you know, doesn't really do much. So uh, a little disappointed, not to say it was a boring watch or anything. You know, I had a good time with it. It's a, I guess it's something you can watch with a family in October. I was just hoping for it to be a significant improvement on that Eddie Murphy 2003 Haunted Mansion, and we just got more of the same. So that's Haunted Mansion. What else you got? Okay, so I'll, I'm going to take us in another direction of being haunted. Uh, it's a film uh, called A Good Person, starring um, Florence Pugh, Molly Shannon, and Morgan Freeman. Um, it was written, directed, and produced by Zach Braff. Um, and this came out, and it didn't really get that good of, uh, you know, f- feedback. I think the critical response for it was mixed. But I recently saw this movie on a flight. Um, and I assumed like I, I got through almost the whole movie and then the flight changed and I, as I immediately rushed to my next flight and then immediately pulled back out, like the phone got the app again. So I could like, I really want to finish this movie. Um, a good person is the story of Allison who is played by Florence Pugh and Allison is, uh, engaged to her high school boyfriend, Nathan, and they're happy and they're in love and life is going great. And then, uh, something happens. And one year later, we're now seeing a struggling, um, depressed Allison dealing with addiction and dealing with um, just not really knowing who she is anymore, what her future is going to be. And in the spiral, she connects with Morgan Freeman's character, who starts helping her deal with the issues that are, you know, uh, haunting her. And um, I really enjoyed this movie. I I know that it's uh it maybe hits some of the cliche marks of um you know sentimental movie that has like you know but I I thought it was really really incredibly acted by Florence Pugh in particular I think she just was so good in the role um she was so watchable she was so real with her performance she was really um and she she switches from like intense to you know, vulnerable to, you know, scary a little cement and like all in the same like 30 seconds. And like you're and you're with her the whole time. You're like, yep, this makes sense. This is how this character would be. And like, um, it's just got such a good performance that um, it just anchors you to care about the story and the character's arc in the story. Um, and it's also just nice to see a movie where, you know, it, it's kind of about themes of forgiveness and redemption about the fact we're none of us are all good people like all of us make mistakes all of us hurt people all of us have issues you know and problems um that we ourselves are responsible for and just seeing a movie that you know is kind of about getting forgiveness and growing through your own mistakes um that's that's refreshing i feel like so many movies lately have been about like you know we're gonna get the bad guys and we're gonna get justice and this is a movie that's about i was a bad guy like, how do I find forgiveness or how do I find moving on when, like, I was the bad guy in a story? Um, and I, I feel like that that was just a really, really interesting thing to explore with uh, a movie that um, also deals heavily with addiction. Um, so props to Zach Braff and props to Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman. Um, everyone, all the all the acting in this movie was just phenomenal, but they especially had great performances. Um, I give this one an A minus. Um, if you're in the mood for a movie that's gonna make you feel, maybe make you cry a little bit, but also like kind of give you some hope at the end, go check out a good person. Well, we could use some hope right now, Mike. Uh, yeah, we could. Chaos in the world. So, yeah, we uh, could. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with a little feel good, or you know, at least a movie that's gonna leave you feeling good, even if it's a little bit uh, up and down along the way. I mean, you know, we're down with anything Florence Pugh on this podcast. You yeah, know, one of our favorites. Uh, we, I think we've reviewed pretty much every movie that she's been in since she burst on the scene at this point. Yeah. So 
Uh, I'll have to check that one out. What what is it on right now? Did you say you streamed it? Or um, I watched it on like, American Airlines like movie options. So that's that's where I saw it. Uh, I, I don't really know where it's streaming right it now. It might be on Prime. Let me let me check. I'll, I'll let me I'll me Google this real quick. I, I will All say right, this: you... the movie also kind of put Zach Braff back on my radar. Um, I kind of forgot like. You know, I loved Garden State when that came out, and I I liked Scrubs, and I always like thought he seemed like a really talented person. I don't know what he's like in person, but as a artistic professional, he seemed like he made projects that I always enjoyed. Um, and yeah, I'm like, this guy's a great director. Like, I really I'm really looking forward to see if like maybe Zach Braff starts getting in the swing of making more movies. But yeah, it looks like it's on Amazon Prime, um, and YouTube I think has it too. If Evan Dean was here, he'd go off on a, a 15 minute diatribe about how Garden State is one of the top 10 movies of all time. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen Garden State in a while, but I loved that movie. That movie held a really special place in my heart for a long time. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah. what you? What you got next? Uh, so I went I went to the theater uh, not too long ago and saw uh, an animated film that I've really been wanting to see. And Mike, I know you want to see it too, but it's I do, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. Mutant Mayhem. Uh, I just had to see this, Mike. It's it's created by uh, uh, it's directed by Jeff Rowe and Kyler Spears, but uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Gold, his partner Evan Goldberg, our uh, writing partner, I should say, are are behind the scenes in this. They produced it. They wrote most of it. Um, it's, you know, the Ninja Turtles, the film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. Uh, this film is the latest in, you know, a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, not all of them successful. You know, I kind of like the ones from the, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, with literally full sized humans in turtle suits. And it mm-hmm. just kind of represents like the grungy superhero kind of aesthetic that we had in that time period so i didn't mind those but the newer ones with megan fox uh didn't like those too much at all they seemed like missed opportunities to me so when i saw that they were going to do this new sort of animated style with seth rogan uh at the helm i was pretty excited and mike this movie ended up being blew me away uh you know the animation style very unique it's definitely channeling that into the Spider-Verse sort of style where it almost feels sort of like a comic book come to life because it's not like traditional computer animation, but it's also not traditional hand-drawn animation. Uh, I don't even know how they did it, to be honest, because it's not stop motion either. So uh, it's just a very unique animation style. And I know we always love that when we get to see something new on screen. It's an entertaining film. Uh, it's funny. You know, they, they this version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles very much puts the teenage into them, you know, in the mm-hmm. same way that Mart with the Tom Holland Spider-Man really felt like, you know, a teenager as opposed to previous, like Tobey Maguire looking 30 acting like he's in high school versions. Yeah, this one yeah. feels very much like they are teenagers, like they're kids, you know, they're on TikTok and they have their cell phones and they're swinging around New York and they're uh, trying to, you know, get on social media. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very like, real version of teenage like they're basically teenage kids except they're mutant turtles um Mm -hmm. and i think that's where this movie really excels you know because it it really focuses on the turtles and their sort of lifelong goal to be accepted right and i think that this is something that a lot of teenage mutant ninja turtles adaptations have completely missed is that they are mutants you know this is something the x-men films explore all the time how mutants and humans interact they're like life-size turtles their their dad is a life-size rat you know and so it's like (laughs) the movie literally explores uh themes like acceptance fitting in family you know how how anything no matter what it is even if you're mutant turtles you have a desire to fit in and this this movie did a great job exploring that theme where the turtles yeah they have these superpowers and they kind of enjoy their life and they're they're brothers and they like swinging around new york and you know, stopping bad guys and committing petty theft for supplies and they're just kind of living their lives. But at the same time, they're always kind of on the fringes of humanity. There's this scene where there's a movie in a park in New York and they just want to go watch the movie with humans. So they have to sit up on the roof like far away just so they can kind of be around them and fit in. And, uh, you know, the April, the, their main female alliance uh, through in all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She's sort of similar. She's kind of like an outcast in her own world. And through the kindred spirits of the turtles and their interaction, she learns kind of how to fit in and find her place. So there's just a lot of this stuff that, you know, I think didn't take the depth or didn't. There's a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles content that doesn't approach 
uh, the sort of depth of them trying to fit in to a world of humans that this one <laughs> did. And I didn't expect it to be, you know, this animated film with all this heart to it. Um, but it really did. It really had so much heart and it, it kind of made me, uh, Kind of made me almost cry a couple of times, Mike, because of the way that they oh, were approaching dang. this subject matter. You know, it, and okay. it's art. Yeah, it's an action movie. There's fighting, and uh, you know, there's there's bad mutants who are taking it too far because they, you know, they want humans to accept them, but they're so disenfranchised that they're just gonna they're like terrorists who just want to turn everyone into mutants. And then the turtles have to learn that no, that's not the way to go about it. You know, mm-hmm. we have a different way we can go about this. Uh, but I just appre- appreciated the depth to the characters and exploring that side of these very well-known characters that I don't think we've really done before. Do you have a favorite uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles adaptation now? Like, do you are, are the original this, like people and bodies? This is your favorite. It's this, yeah. I mean, because it like like for, for what I said, you know, just because it's it, there's just a lot more depth to it. You know, the animation is fun to watch. Um, and it just feels like a lot more than just like what it could have been, which could have been just a simple animated, uh, you know, superhero show. And instead mm. they decided to create the hero, the turtles in a sense that is re- both relatable. It's probably relatable to, to a lot of teenagers that are going to watch this because yeah, they're mutant turtles, but the, the struggles they're going through is the same thing that everyday teenagers have to go through. So it's very yeah. relatable to that and um you know i I just really appreciated the way rogan and goldberg and these other filmmakers took which could have been you know a very well trotted story you know these are iconic characters that have been around forever and they managed to find something new with it and uh, i appreciate it for that um and i just love that we're getting so much depth in these animated movies now you know like pixar for this uh to to you know go beyond just what's happening in the story. But uh, I, I like to see that we're getting it sort of within the superhero genre now. And, you know, I think there's going to be a, a Paramount plus series uh, that's sort mm. of going to work sequel to this. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm glad I went and saw it and I, I just really appreciated it. You know, the voice talents were good. The acting was fun. You know, some of the jokes were hit and miss, but there were some legitimate like laugh out loud moments as well. Um, it, it, But I just appreciated how it doesn't really, it felt like a movie that was made for teenagers. You know, it, it didn't mm-hmm. sugarcoat their experience. And I think that any teenager who watched this is going to be able to relate to how the, the turtles are feeling in the movie. And I think that it'll be powerful to see how, you know, yeah, they finally do gain acceptance and they just do it by being heroes, which is always a good message. If you ask me. So uh, That's awesome. I, I would very much recommend seeing it. I gave it a eight out of 10. Well, I know you want to see this one. I, I do. I do. Well, this next one I have is also kind of a movie, a coming of age um, movie uh, for, you know, it, this is also a movie for teenagers as well. But uh, this is the new Netflix film. You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. Uh, this is a, an Al- Adam Sandler produced uh, film and actually starring um, his own daughters. Uh, Sonny uh, Sandler uh, is the main um, girl. Um uh, Stacy Friedman, who's uh, a young girl who's looking forward to her uh, bat mitzvah, and she and her friend uh, uh, Lydia are like best friends, but uh, some some drama gets in the way of that, and so you know, then there's heartbreak, and then there's understanding, and then there's growth, and then there's a bat mitzvah, and uh, I won't give anything else away, but it's a really really sweet movie. Uh, and I think it was actually a really well written movie too. Like, it does a good job of having this kid, Stacy, as like the protagonist, and Stacy has a goal, and Stacy has like a, a personality and a character arc, and like all the things that happen with her that you know, the struggles she goes through, the challenges, the things that she then does wrong but has to learn from. Like, it all works very well. Um, you know, it's cool to see a movie like this where it's like these young girls, like their story is getting told and their perspective is being valued. And, uh, and they are given the hero journeys of their own stories, which they should. Um, but it's, a, it's a very, it's a surprisingly funny movie. Um, my girlfriend and I, like she's, we saw the trailer for this and it was one she kind of picked and wanted to watch. I was like, yeah, it looks good. But I found myself like laughing along the whole time. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, there's some really funny moments in it, especially when Adam Sandler is playing the dad, and coming in and just like giving her giving her hell as a dad uh, is very funny. 
Um, and overall, there is a good message about like, you know, forgiving each other and supporting your friends and like, you know, growing up in a lot of ways is about taking responsibility to not just pursue your dreams, but also to support other people. So I really liked this one. I thought it was a cute movie for kids. Um, I give it an A minus. Are you are we experiencing like a I don't know, late is as Adam Sandler in his late career. I guess it's more like mid career, maybe mid to late career. Are we experiencing like a renaissance with this guy? Because I feel like for the longest time he was pigeonholed into obviously like the the sex comedies or the dorky, raunchy comedies that he thrived off of. That's obviously how he made his name, you know, coming mm-hmm. out being a comic. Um, but, you know, recently with like, uh, you know, just the stuff that we've had had him come out with. And uh, man, I can't remember what's the damn name of the gambling movie that I can't think of right now um, that he had, uncut but, gems. Yeah. Uncut gems. Um, you know, there was some other stuff recently uh, that I just think that he's uh, hustle got decent reviews and now he comes mm-hmm. up with this. I know he's not really, but he's, he seems to be like writing from the heart or he seems to be like actually noticing that people for the longest time, maybe undersold him as somebody who could actually create good content, but more so he was just choosing to create these dumb comedies I'm starting to get that vibe from him. I feel like he's really kind of maybe it's just maturity and getting older, but I feel like he's kind of spreading his wings a little bit as not just an actor, but kind of a creator, you know, this one, he's obviously right in his lane, you know, dealing with like Jewish comedy and stuff, but uh, to get his daughters involved and whatnot, I, you know, I, I guess I just, I, I kind of just been noticing that Adam Sandler seems to be like stepping up his game a little bit. And I wonder as he gets older, you know, he's 57 now as he kind of gets into the, like the later stages of his, sort of acting career if we could really see some powerful stuff from him i know, I know it sounds weird talking about adam sandler but uh, i don't uh-huh. know it's like he's kind of spreading his wings a little bit i think maybe from what i've heard adam sandler has always been a super nice big-hearted guy uh like almost like the big teddy bear dad like personality anyway mm-hmm. so now that he's actually in that role <laughs> like as a as a person it makes sense that his creative energy is going to like start being fed by that. And, you know, maybe that's perfect. Like maybe if anyone knows how to tell a, a movie about being a good dad, like maybe it's Adam Sandler. So I would, I would like to see, yeah, I would like to see, obviously he, you're right. He did do a lot of those, like, like so family friendly that they, they almost felt like more, I don't know, almost too tame to be entertaining. Um, right. he went from we, like the yeah. raunchy shit to that yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> but uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully whatever you know phase of create creative uh juices he's soaking in now uh yeah we'll start seeing some really heartfelt stuff because he does seem like a guy with a pretty big heart um I just, so. he's come a long way from jack and jill let's just say that <laughs> oh yeah yeah um, speaking of raunchy sex comedies mike Oh yes, go. On. <laughs> I recently watched one starring Jennifer Lawrence of all I was, people. I was gonna say you've already, you've already reviewed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, yeah. so. No, no. Here we are in a world where Jennifer Lawrence is in a raunchy sex comedy, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are teaching our youth about life lessons. But that's where we're yeah, at from Seth Rogen. Yeah, from Seth Rogen. But yeah, No Hard Feelings is the film. I'm sure you've heard about this one, Mike. Uh, it's oh. directed by Gene Stupinitsky. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Uh, it stars Jennifer Lawrence, obviously. Andrew Barth Friedman, who I... Feldman, sorry, who I haven't really seen in anything, but he plays Percy Becker, the opposite lead. Um, and then you got Matthew Broderick. Uh, Eben Moss Bachrock has a, a small role in this. Uh, Scott MacArthur, Laura Benanti, uh, some other people involved as well. But this film tells the story of Jennifer Lawrence, who, uh, against all odds, is on the brink of losing her home. Uh, her name is Maddie, and she finds an interesting job listing. Helicopter parents looking for someone to bring their introverted 19-year-old son out of his shell before college. She has one summer to make him a man or die trying. So, yeah, that's kind of a weird premise, I guess. And I sometimes think about this movie if the roles were reversed and uh, a 30-something man was dating yeah. a 19-year-old girl. I don't think that gets greenlit. So I yeah. think that kind of like brings up some interesting sort of issues with Hollywood maybe or kind of our societal standards because I don't think this movie gets made if it's reversed. 
But, you know, when it's uh, some attractive 30 something woman hitting on the, you know, barely legal guy, then suddenly it's OK to make jokes and make comedy about it. So mixed feelings about that. Uh, that much aside, this film ended up being exactly what I kind of thought it was going to be. You know, like it is a sex comedy. It's kind of like a throwback to like Superbad or or uh, Knocked Up or, you know, the, the, remember those movies? We just kept getting them nonstop, you know, kind of like the, the comedy yeah. is about getting laid that was basically all the premise was and this is kind of a throwback mm -hmm. to that um you know i think that they try and work a little bit of sort of like heart into this where you know jennifer lawrence learns that you know at first she's just trying to make money and get a car and use this kid for whatever she needs to get to her end goal and she obviously learns that he's a sweet kid who's just a little bit of an outcast and misunderstood and kind of just needs friends and confidence. So she, by the end of the film, she's more of a friend than what she's originally trying to do. You know, you can see where this is going, Mike, and they don't really get full into that, but mm. I guess it was entertaining enough. You know, Jennifer Lawrence, I, I could watch her in anything. I think she's an immensely talented, talented actress. I think her role choices have been interesting lately. Like she's what happened to like silver linings playbook and American hustle and winter's bone rolls. Now she seems to be taking like these kind of like, I don't know. It seems like sort of like mid tier. Like it's just, it's just interesting. The roles she's been taking like lately, it doesn't feel like it's so much up to her level. Like, I don't know. Uh, the causeway that came out last year, I actually liked a lot with Brian Hy Tyree Henry. I don't think you ever saw that one, Mike, but that, that was a pretty good one. Uh, but it ends up being pretty much what you think. It's a sex comedy. Jennifer Lawrence is charming enough in the title role as kind of like this, I don't know, outcast, like sort of floozy. But I have a hard time thinking that Jennifer, someone who looks like Jennifer Lawrence in real life and in the movie would be in sort of the down on her luck situation that she's in in this movie. So it's a little yeah. bit suspended of the leaf. There is an actual scene in this movie where she fights a bunch of dudes completely naked on the beach. Uh, so, yeah, I did not expect to see that like, oh, like wow. she's literally butt naked fighting these people on screen so uh j-law throwing it all out there i guess for this little comedy i don't really know why but she is um <laughs> so it had to be one of the most paused movies of the year mike that's all i gotta say uh but you know it was okay it was pretty much ended up being ex i think it's <laughs> actually a fact i saw that uh but uh <laughs> you hate when i do you hate when i go down that road oh uh, uh, yeah <laughs> uh, okay but so you didn't like my... the movie <laughs> no, no no, i liked it i liked it i liked that scene no i'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. god dude <laughs> i liked the movie enough for what it was i'll just say uh -huh. that. but it ended up being exactly what i thought it was when you know i was hoping maybe this because i had heard like oh it's the prize hit of the year the surprise feel-good film of the year uh, I didn't get those vibes by the end of this. I was just like, okay, there's another sex comedy. I see why they don't make these anymore. Uh, so I gave that a six out of 10. That's no hard feelings. Uh, I guess entertaining enough to watch, but uh, not something that you're going to need to put at the top of your list. Okay. Well, I, I'm I, just, yes. I just, I'm just, I just don't know how she just, takes this role. It, 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 what are you saying? <laughs> I don't know like, how she took this role. Times. Is all. Like, I just don't like what is what is the thought process here? I mean, was she given a lot of money for it? Because that usually so. that usually uh, has something to do with it. Um, I guess I'm just like, like if you look at the movies she's done lately, right? Like Passengers, the X Men movies, Mother, uh, Don't Look Up. I guess we liked quite a bit. You know, Causeway was okay uh red sparrow you know it's just i don't know they seem different than what she was before and i don't know if it's like she's just not getting offered like these prestige roles anymore i find that hard to believe or if she's just kind of like you know i don't want to be pigeonholed as oscar bait i just want to show that i can mm. have make these fun movies you know too so yeah it's just yes. interesting all right, go ahead all right i've got two more films to talk about with you one is uh the last kingdom seven kings must die uh, this is a British historical drama, which is basically the conclusion to the television series, The Last Kingdom. Um, so there's a series of books by Bernard Cornwall, who's like a very, very famous historical fiction writer. Um, the Saxon stories is what they're called. It follows this character of Uhtred, who um, it is, this is kind of set during like the very, very early like birth of of England, where there's like you know, the Vikings, the Danes are coming over and attacking the Saxons and um, Alfred the Great is, you know, king. And that's kind of when this story is set. Um, and the whole television series kind of follows this character through all these different 
historical battles and and moments of of basically trying to unite uh the different saxon kingdoms into one england and this is based on the final book in the series which um basically concludes the character story um so really this is probably not a movie that if you just put this on and you've never seen the show it's probably not going to mean as much to you it's probably not going to hit the same way um and in some ways it doesn't even feel like an individual movie it just feels like they're just kind of completing the last season with a movie um so we my my girlfriend and i we had sat down and watched the last kingdom uh for the last couple of months we were um de- definitely it was definitely giving us that game of thrones uh it was scratching that game of thrones itch, shall we say um it's it's a good show i really liked it and the movie that wrapped it all up was fine <laughs> um you know i liked the characters and i liked the acting i mean if you like the show you're gonna like the movie um just because like you know the characters are still there and you know the story's concluding and so there's a lot of climactic things that happen at the same time however you know some of the main characters made choices i really didn't like and that made everything difficult and um you know and it just it felt like at times the story was meandering a little bit um so that was kind of frustrating but the final battle was really epic and and it really was a very important battle um in history and it was nice to see that battle kind of portrayed uh bruna burn or i'm probably saying it wrong um but uh yeah it, it wrapped up the character story and the ending was definitely very satisfying um with what happens with utrid um so yeah if you want to watch a good historical action um show and story about a, a pretty unique time that we don't see uh, i guess we are seeing a lot of like viking stuff lately but uh yeah it was it was good it was a good show and the movie that wrapped it up was fine so uh yeah the last kingdom seven kings must die i'll give it a b but the show i give it i the show i give a a, a minus b plus interesting i gotta watch this last kingdom show i'm just so hesitant to dive into another one of these you know yeah uh gritty uh historical you know it's just it's a lot right yeah you yeah. kind of got to be ready to take it all on you know yeah but if it is your thing like if you like shows like vikings or game of thrones or, or rome uh I, there's been a lot of memes about rome lately just because that that tiktok trend uh how often do men think about the roman empire uh rome once a is, week mike yeah once a week rome least. is genuinely one of the best historical shows i've ever seen that was on hbo two seasons but yeah if you like those kind of shows go check out last kingdom and i got when such you a finish kick it out of that. watch this I got, I got such a kick out of that whole oh TikTok yeah because i was like i'm not even on tiktok but i'm like Oh, I definitely think about the Roman Empire. Oh, I I have a friend who she's been teasing me about it. Uh, yeah, and, and we, it was weird. Like she asked all of us guys, she was like, she who were in the room at the time, she was like, "How often do you guys all think about it? Tell me." And we were all like, "I don't know. Like, do I think about it?" And I was like, "I think I think about the Roman Empire anytime I think about maybe like like religious stuff that I grew up with, like Jesus getting crucified by Rome, or you know, like." But other than that, or, or I think about that show Rome that I really like, but I don't think about like Rome, Rome, because Rome, Rome, like the real historical Rome was pretty awful. Um, <laughs> for all the grandeur, and it was awful a, and great, Mike. A ton of crucifixion and torture and Colosseum massacres. So, uh, yeah, I don't really think about Rome that much, but I do think about Rome on HBO because that was a great show. Go watch it. All right, what's your next one? <clears throat> The last one I got tonight is something that I was a little hesitant on watching because, you know, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, I'm not too keen on the uh, um, the 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 glorification of, you know, murder and serial killers and real crime and this sort of like wave of genre where every single murder that's ever happened has to be like turned into a miniseries that inadvertently <laughs> glorifies killers yeah, uh, but at the same time i was very intrigued as a american horror story watcher of evan peter's abil- ability to channel jeffrey dahmer in this uh netflix show dahmer monster the jeffrey dahmer story um it was on netflix and broke records for streaming on netflix is which is you know tells you exactly why they keep making this stuff uh, i had heard that this his performance was incredible in this as Jeffrey Dahmer. And it is, uh, I mean, he's 
terrifying. You know, as somebody who's seen video of Jeffrey Dahmer and kind of his confessions and everything, uh, he's definitely channeling the guy and bringing him to life on screen. I was hopeful this movie would, or movie, this miniseries would do what a lot of true crime doesn't do, which is focus on the victims rather than the killer. Um, whereas, you know, yeah, you want to tell the story of the killer, but also let's not forget who the real victims are here and that they have families that are still alive dealing yeah. with trauma that this monster had created. I think that people forget that way too often when it comes to this true crime. I do too. And we, we've discussed this many, this topic mm -hmm. many times on this pod, uh, you know, in reviews and whatnot. But I was hopeful, you know, this show created by American Horror Story guy, Ryan Murphy, same guy. So that's probably why he thought of Evan Peters. I was hopeful the show would focus on uh, the victims and it does at times there's a whole episode i think it's like episode six silenced where um pretty much the whole bulk of the episode focuses on one of on one of jeffrey dahmer's deaf victims and shows sort of his experience growing up in his life you know through being a deaf person and i wish more of the show would have been that uh actually like maybe taking a serialized approach at who his victims actually were where they came from, how they came up, you know, why they ended up in that situation. Uh, I was hopeful the show would focus more on the victims rather than Jeffrey Dahmer's actual story. I think that Ryan Murphy and the creators are aware that people are thinking that like, don't glorify Jeffrey Dahmer, please. Like, mm -hmm. I think they're aware of that and you can see that in the writing and you can see some of that through some of the things that they try and uh, put on screen and what they focus on. They try and focus on the victim. They try and focus on the lady who ultimately called the cops and got him arrested um, and sort of her struggles and how everyone who lived in the building where he created this mass hysteria after that came out, that he was murdering people there, how they were impacted and how the building had to be raised and they all lost their homes. And so they, they try and focus on this stuff and mix it in between, but it's still not quite enough, Mike. It still stoops to the level of exploitation because at the core of it, these, the filmmakers have to tell a story and what's the most compelling part of that story. It's Jeffrey freaking Dahmer. And that, yeah. that's sad. It's unfortunate, but it's just always how this was going to go. And I don't blame Evan Peters. He does. He does his job as an actor uh, very well. I mean, he, he really does. He, he does a great job. Um, and uh, I think he was nominated for Golden Globe, actually. So uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not going to deter anyone from doing this in the future. Um, but it's just. Uh, what's his name? Richard Jenkins, uh, a pretty yeah. well-known actor, plays Jeffrey Dahmer's dad. So they he gets a lot of screen time on kind of like him questioning, you know, what went wrong and kind of those two sort of mixing it up on how they, uh, how maybe he sort of created the monster that became Jeffrey Dahmer. They do a lot of, they spend a lot of time trying to rationalize what went on in Jeffrey Dahmer's head and sort of why things happened the way they did. And uh, it, it's, I guess I give them credit from kind of approaching this from a lot of different sides. You know, everyone knows the Jeffrey Dahmer story at this point. Um, so I guess I give them credit from kind of at least trying to put some focus on the victims and trying to tell the story in a more nuanced way, but there's just no avoiding exploitation and, and there's no avoiding causing potential harm to victims when you drum stuff up, up like this for entertainment purposes. And uh, ultimately, that is kind of the thing that holds it back in the end. But at the same time, judging it on a piece of art, it's not bad. It's well acted mm -hmm. and it's well written. So I gave it a seven out of ten. But it doesn't erase those mixed feelings that I will always have when it comes to this stuff. Mm. Yeah, I saw an episode or two of this. I think Catherine had it on. I um, just uh, watched like an episode or two with her and it was it did seem well made. Um and he did seem like he did, Evan Peters seemed like he did a really good job in the role. Um, yeah, I'm the same way where I just don't enjoy this stuff. Like, it's fine if other people do. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's just not for me. But, um, yeah, like, I, I guess, do you think that the, the, with true crime, though, it's like, you do want people to be aware of how people can turn into a Jeffrey Dahmer, though, do you, do you ever think stuff like this maybe helps people? Well, like, I would prefer it before it. it before I would it prefer becomes... it. I would prefer it done as a documentary style. Uh, mm -hmm. I would prefer it done that way. I don't. I have very mixed feelings about. Uh, damn it! What was that show we just watched on uh, on HBO with with uh, uh, Love and Love and Death? Love and Death. Yeah, sort of the same yeah. thing where it's a a dramatized version of what's going on. You know, it mm. just feels. 
I get it. Netflix, you know, documentary style, because you're, you're usually just laying out the facts. Uh, opinion is limited. It's kind of just like, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's what happened. Here was the aftermath of it. There you go. When you start making actual shows about it, where somebody's portraying Jeffrey Dahmer, I don't know. It just feels like you're just trying to capitalize on tragedy and horror for the sake of money, which we do that all the time, I guess, like in film and TV, like Oppenheimer just came out, you know, I guess yeah. you can say that, you know, but, but I think that movie serves to educate, you know, whereas yes, this does serve to educate. It does raise awareness, but at the same time, it's art based on tragedy and it does give sort of Jeffrey Dahmer. It does nothing to limit, the show even hypes up how Jeffrey Dahmer became like a pseudo celebrity when he was in prison. And for some reason he had like fans sending him fan mail and money and mm. stuff because he's just, I don't know why, but it, this does nothing to quell the sort of fascination with Dahmer or serial killers in general. And that's viewed by the viewership, you know, that's viewed by uh, the reception it got at awards shows. So I just have very mixed feelings about it, Mike. Like I would just, I guess I'd just prefer that we educate and not exploit you know well one thing i did read and this just like with my i'm a little cynical about some of the stuff but i did read uh it's just it's currently on the wikipedia page right now on september 23 2022 netflix removed the series lgbtq tag after a backlash on social media so but i mean that's very relevant to the lgbtq was, tag He's was was Netflix marketing it as like, a, hey, check this out for LGBT my get, stories? Yeah, yeah my guess oh my is, God. you know, like on uh, Pride Month or whatever, and they say LGBTQ Dahmer's, stories. Dahmer yeah. Monster is a Pride Month story. <laughs> I mean, he was killing uh, gay men. So, he was a gay man. So, you know, so messed up. <laughs> I think that's probably why. But yeah, uh, the, the the power of bullying on the Internet has oh, man. been pretty proven. But I don't know. It, it was like like. I watched it because I had heard good things about the performance and I'd heard there was some nuance in the storytelling. I would agree that those things are there. I just, I can't fully jump on board with this stuff, Mike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All yeah. right. You got one more. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't jump on board with serial killers either. So we're all in the same I'm talking about the genre, bro. Not, not you know, right. jumping on board with serial right. killers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Last, one. Last one for me is a movie I only actually watched for you. I was like, I'm not going to watch it, and then you said, "Well, we might review it," and I was like, "Fine." Uh, and then, and I, then think I, I didn't watch it. And you didn't watch it, which I, I respect. I, I have huge respect for you for it. Um, this is the uh, Warner Brothers DC superhero film, The Flash. Um, this is a film. <laughs> It is a movie is a film. that actors <laughs> performed in, uh, mostly, uh, because a lot of the movie is not the actors. It's just CG of other actors uh, from other. Anyway, so look, Flash is basically doing the famous Flashpoint um, story from the comics where Barry Allen, the Flash, uh, tries to go back in time to save his mother and stop her murder, but then ends up like creating a bunch of different multiverse stuff that messes with everything. Um, if you actually do want to see a pretty good adaptation of it, I would recommend uh, check out the animated movie, Justice League Flashpoint Paradox. Uh, I thought you were going to recommend the CW show for a second there. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I I wish I could. I've just never seen that one. Um, I have. You don't. But, need to, uh, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. But that. So if you want to actually understand what the story is, go watch Flashpoint. I think it's on HBO or Max. Excuse me. Uh, but that, that's a, it's a short little cartoon that's actually pretty well done. And it's like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this is an interesting story. So that's basically what they're adapting. Um, it's. It's in this one, the Flash movie. Though we get Ezra Miller, um, and I will, I will just hold my tongue on everything about Ezra Miller's private life. We're just here to talk about the movie itself. Um, but yeah, Ezra Miller's the Flash goes back in time, meets another Barry, ends up creating a multiverse, hangs out with Michael Keaton's Batman. They rescue Supergirl, and then we just get this big multiverse sequence of hey look here's cameos of everyone ever um and it's almost all cgi too like even even like the cameo of henry cavill it seems like they just cgi'd him um it's a uh, i think i wrote down where is it oh yeah here's what i wrote 
this feels less like a an actual movie and just more like a series of poorly made fan service clips stitched together as an attempted narrative because a plot is like there's not even really a plot it's just like then this happens then this happens then this happens and it's all just like it's basically it's just so trying to do fan service but really not doing it very well like i mean yeah you get a couple cool shots of michael keaton's batman but it doesn't really have meaning especially with the way the, the character ends there um and yeah you'll get some like you'll you'll get to see the little cameo of george clooney as batman but it doesn't have meaning it's just kind of thrown in there and um it's just such a goofy like movie and i don't i don't even know like i feel like that is like the end of the dc universe i'm like good just end it there like start again do something different with it give it to james gunn or something but just like Guess you didn't hear about the Aquaman sequel. What a mess. Oh, I thought it was a new one, but they're just keeping everyone else. Like, they're like, yeah, we're going to do a whole fresh new characters and everything. But we're keeping Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot. Like, well, that's not fresh, is it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so like I said, I, I've seen episodes of that CW show, The Flash. You know, for the CW, whatever, it's fine. It is it is what it is. It's harmless. And they, they tackled the Flashpoint uh, sort of storyline in like season two, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an interesting, it's obviously an iconic story and it's an interesting, yeah. interesting ideas going on. And this just felt like D- DC sort of like trying to channel like, I don't Warner Brothers has got to stop doing this where they like they have a movie and then they just have to like bring in all their different properties. They won't just let movies stand on their own. Like remember that Space Jam movie and they have to bring in like every single property on the planet and put them in the crowd and it just completely yeah. distracts away from the Looney Tunes. It's like pick your story, stay in that lane and keep it there. You know, like the Michael Keaton stuff just feels like we know this movie stinks. So we're just going to try and do anything we can to try and draw some people in. Like, that's what it sounds like. And I'm a little disappointed to hear that it wouldn't have at least been better. Cause Andy Muschietti, the guy who directed it, uh, I've, I've seen movies that, of you know, he did the, he did the it movies that came out recently. And I mm. thought he showed a lot of sort of cinematic chops and ability to create style and, Horror and I mean, does the movie at least have some style to it, or is it just like? You know? Yeah, one thing I do like about like these movies, especially compared to like I don't know, uh, there's just more color, there's more vibrancy. Um, I mean, there there are shots that look good where you're like, oh wow, that's a cool looking shot, but you just don't care. Like again, it just feels like a bunch of really great fan service stitched it all together, but without real meaning. Um, so like you might get a really shot, really cool shot of like, you know, the flash running up a wall and it just looks epic, but you're like, I don't really care. And also it's, it is, it's really hard to like, I'm not gonna lie. It's hard to separate watching Ezra Miller from, uh, Ezra Miller's personal life. Let me just put it that way. Um, and it didn't help the film i mean it had it had you know director changes it had the COVID 19 pandemic it had controversies around ezra miller so like this was in development hell for a long time you know yeah um i've heard a lot of criticism about just how the third act kind of how it plays out at the end that's kind of what i've heard a lot of the big thing that happens in the third act that i think everyone's probably talking about is when they have the big moment where the multiverse starts to implode and then you get to see all the multiverses. And it's like, I don't know, it's like, like six minute, like just scene of just cameos of different people. And the camera just pans to a CGI cameo of like Christopher Reeves and then pans to like a CGI cameo of George Reeves and like, you know, pans to like a CGI cameo of uh, Nicolas Cage, like as, um, you know, Superman fighting a giant spider um but it's like why am i seeing like why like, what is this it's too much it's and it's much. and it's not even like good like like the cgi looks rough and I, that's that's not to take a crap on any of the cgi artists i i know i know the behind the scenes stories of how underpaid and how overworked and like hey we need to do this shot okay that'll take two months all right you got you got tonight and tomorrow to finish and like you know some poor cgi artists who stayed up for 48 straight hours to try to give them a shot that should have 
they should have had like two weeks to do, you know? So like, yeah, the CGI in this is like really, really not good. Um, and I've heard that a lot of the CGI artists in Hollywood are like starting to unionize and band together. Um, I hope that goes well for them because yeah, I have noticed lately, especially with superhero movies, it's like, boy, like I feel like the, like we're, we should be having the best special effects ever, but we're getting like some of special effects that like look like they were from 2002 or 2005. Um, so yeah, this movie was just, it's a disappointment. Um, for if you liked the character of the flash or even if you like those old Batman characters or, you know, Christopher Reeve or whatever, like it's disappointment. I did like Supergirl though. I thought she was, she was pretty good. Uh, the girl who played her was good. Unfortunately, most of the DC films have been largely disappointing, which is disappointing because we love these characters. And uh, James Gunn over there, he's going to kind of be like the the Kevin Feige of of DC now. So hopefully, you know, we obviously know we loved what he did with the Guardians and whatnot. So hopefully he can go over there and kind of just like find some focus and direction with these DC movies. Yeah. because They all just kind of seem directionless. You know, there's a couple of them were okay. You know, the first wonder woman, I didn't mind. I think I liked the Aquaman movie more than you did. Uh, you know, oh, excuse me. Uh, you like the Snyder cut, right? Or you thought it was okay of the, of the Spider-Man versus Superman, right? Snyder, Snyder cut. So Spider-Man versus Superman, or Superman, <laughs> Superman versus Batman. Snyder. Cut, right? Snyder cut. I, I liked the Snyder cut better than the, uh, I, yeah, I liked the Snyder cut better than the Joss Whedon cut. I, I still thought it was way too long, though. I know, but I still just think that there's so much potential here with this. You know, if somebody could yeah. just come in and make it find some footing and find a thematic center and find like what you actually want to do and why the DC universe is different than the Marvel universe. You know, I think there's potential for DC to be so much more like kind of gritty and dark and sort of like comic booky and sort of grounded. I just, you know, Snyder tried. I think to sort of put it in that realm, but there was just no consistency across the board. And none of these films just seem to have like the, the cultural phenomenon or the, the sort of like the flash. How much did you hear about the flash? Like, I feel like it just kind of came and went, you know, like it mm -hmm. was, there was like, this is an iconic character, you know, like the how big, are we not, how is this not more hype? The you big know? things when I think about like where in pop culture, do I hear really loud flash love? I hear, the show, especially the early seasons of the the CW show, I wouldn't really like The Flash. Grant Gustin, I think, is his name, the actor who plays. And I think about the one scene in the Snyder Cut where the Flash runs and turns back time and saves everyone, which was a cool scene. But whenever people talk about the Flash, those are the things they talk about. Um, I feel like the in some ways, like the Flash, it kind of represents everything that DC started doing wrong. Like it wanted to have these big like high epic like sequences that didn't really have character or story in them. And, you know, as much as a lot of people love Zack Snyder, I think Snyder kind of had that too. Like, even though like he has these really like epic looking, like the sun is right behind everyone looks like so godlike in all his images. The stories didn't always make you care though, or the dialogue didn't always make you care. So even though it looks great, it doesn't feel as great because you don't care as much. Um, and then even with Barry's character in this movie, I get that like Ezra Miller's playing Barry is that's like hyper, like, oh, I'm this, I'm this, oh, I need this. Do you have this? Do you have it? And yeah, like they did a fine job, but like the character is just so abnormally like antisocial and, and weird and like it's like no real person would ever have this conversation with someone. And even when it, like Barry is having these moments with like, you know, um, Iris West, the, the uh, who's Barry's love interest. It's like, why in the world is Iris still wanting to talk to this person? This person's absolutely insane. And, and, and gives off very uncomfortable vibes. Uh, it's kind of like when people criticize the, the um, Anakin and Padme relationship. It's like, why after he, he does all these things, is Padme getting more and more attracted to him? This is like this is no like this is no rational relationship works this way. And I kind of felt the same with Barry. It's like, yeah, you're saying all these quirky, witty, funny, awkward things, but you're just so inhuman. And yeah, it's just it's just this is annoying. <laughs> so all right. yeah, this movie was annoying. I give it a I give it a D because I was offended by it. I was offended by putting Christopher Reeves in a movie like that.
three. Excuse me. Wow, I'm, I'm, ru- I'm rushing to HBO Max to watch this after that glowing review you just left there, Mike. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it. We we covered a lot of ground there. I know we, we were jumping around a lot of different genres, a lot of different stuff going on there. But, you know, even if we're not recording, we're always watching. We're like, uh, what's the what's the lady in that Monsters, Inc., Roz? We're always watching, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, covered a lot there. Uh, maybe a little bit more uh, rapid fire, sporadic than you guys are used to. But uh, we didn't record last week, so we definitely wanted to touch on that stuff. Uh, anything else, Mike? Uh, enjoy Europe. You're going to Portugal, right? Yeah, I'll be heading to Portugal. Um, wish me luck. Uh, it's going to be a fun trip, hopefully. I've never been, so looking forward to You've it. You've been to Europe before? Uh, not really, no. What do you mean? Not really. You haven't been to Europe. I, I mean, I, when, I was, when I was two years old, we had a layover in the UK on our way to South Africa. So, uh, okay. you know, I don't know I if that really counts, fair. though. I guess that's fair. So, yeah, fair. not really. <laughs> Technically, I've been there, but not real. All right. That's fair. What, what about you? Got anything fun? Oh, yeah. Tell everyone what you're doing tonight. <laughs> Drafting an, a hockey team, Mike. Drafting a hockey team. It's the constant balance. At, while watching Monday Night Football, you know, mm-hmm. it's my constant balance of trying to balance film with sports. You know, it's it's a constant battle around here, but uh, we do our best. We do our best. But uh, that's going to do it, I think, for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. We appreciate everyone for listening. Go check out uh, those films and movies that we shouted out on today's pod. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Some not so great. Skip the flash, maybe. Uh, but hey, glad we could get another episode in. So for the world traveler, Mike Nichols, uh, I'm Braden Champion. Thank you once again for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. We'll talk to you next time and we'll see you.